Two Towns Over is a podcast where we explore the fascinating world of urban legends, conspiracy theories, and campfire tales to find out if there are any truths behind the legends. With dark humor and natural curiosity, we tackle the darkened streets of the town you all know. Welcome to the town with no name. This is Two Towns Over. Super fucking good at it. <laughs> like, in fact, it's infuriating sometimes. So the whole point of that game was that Brennan could not get a point. So the whole concept of the game was like, every question is just yes or no. And then at any point, any of the players can take, you know, take me backstage, tell me what they think the rule is, and then um, you win if you get it right. If you don't get it right, you come back out and keep playing. Okay. Right? So it it's just it was a really funny episode because he would just do like some, he'd just do a weird thing or bring on a guest and it would just be this question is yes or no. Like <laughs> anyway, anyway, it was very fun. And on that note, we might as well go ahead and get into this. Good afternoon or evening. Hey babies. Yeah, this is New um, Year, new me. Yeah. We're recording this on New Year's Day, but you're not going to hear it for a couple weeks because that's just how we roll. Yeet. So you're in the future. Bigly. Um, and the New Year's Day does also um, explain why there's no Josh today because Josh, Josh really came to my house and got real drunk. Yeah. So it's just Ruben and I today. So we're going to do a campfire tale or tales. Um, well, it's a campfire tale for the. Part of our podcast we call Campfire Tales. It is one of many. Yeah. Well, we got two today. Our tales are legion. Oh, shit. We have two today? Yeah. Ignore everything I just said. And we're going to the Far East. We're going to Japan. Oh, sweet. We got two Japanese urban legends today. Oh, yes. Um, And like we all, all, like always, Campfire Tales, we just tell the story and let Ruben explode. Um, That's what I do best. <laughs> I was about to say let Ruben explain it, and I had to stop myself and explode came out. Mm-hmm. No, so. he was right. <laughs> so we got two stories. First one is uh, Teke Teke. Teke Teke. Teke Teke, if you want to look. Teke Teke. And then we also got Kuchisaki Yona. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. we're going to start with Teke Teke. All right. So this happened one cold winter morning in Hokkaido, where a heartbreaking incident occurred at a certain railway, railway crossing. Mm-hmm. Uh, police and forensic investigators arrived at the scene, having received a report that a female high school student had just been hit by a train at the crossing. It was thought she died instantly, so no ambulance was called. The police and the forensic investigators began gathering the pieces of her body right away, her ankles, her hips, her thighs, her shins, then the upper half of her body. It really did appear to be an instantaneous death. But as the forensic investigator was putting the body into the car, he heard a voice say, Help. He looked in the direction of the voice and was shocked. The upper half of the female high school student's body that he just put in the car was talking to him. Wild. Yeah. It was thought the girl died instantly, but in the freezing chill of Hokkaido, the girl's wounds froze over the instant she was hit. Or s- and so her upper torso was able to talk. Her voice started to get weaker and weaker. And no matter what they did, there was nothing that they could do to help her. Like anyway, thinking that there was nothing he could do to help her. The forensic investigator quietly placed the vinyl sheet over the girl. And he continued as she continued to cry for help. Well, that's not, regulation no. at all anywhere <laughs> but what are you gonna do i mean, I mean call the fucking amp first of all i don't care who you are when an accident like that happens you call an ambulance because that's how they transport bodies also but also like 
but they would just bring a, a what is it? A, um, not a morgue. What's it called? Hearse or coroner's van because she was split in half. Yeah, but I'm saying is like when some when somebody when something happens when a thing is reported. This is in almost every country in the world. In if if an accident happens where it is it's likely that the person died but it is possible that they lived like just like in America when you call when your grandma falls out and they bring the ambulance even if she doesn't need it sometimes that's why it's because it's about the emergency care because they want people at a scene EMTs or medical professionals whose job it is to save exactly you know is to make decisions about this situation that we're talking about here is like, oh, this person is somehow still alive, even with grievous injury. That's their job is to see, can we save them? Or is it like, do we just morphine and see, you know, let them be more comfortable? You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's, it, it's just regulation. Sorry. I'm fucking up the story. <laughs> no, you're not. So that's, that's the, the, the beginning. Um, the next part uh, tells about a male student who was walking home from school one day. He looked up and saw the figure of a woman standing by the telephone pole several me- meters ahead. As he got closer, the boy noticed that she was quite beautiful. She looked in his direction and smiled. Against his better judgment, the boy was happy and smiled in return, but in an instant, the smile froze. The woman who stepped out from behind the telephone pole had no lower body. Mm-hmm. Using her elbows, the woman ran towards him with an incredible speed. The bones on her elbows hitting the concrete made a Take it, take it, take it, take it, take it sound. So, why is Japan so good at body horror, even with that voice that you're doing right now? The I'm reading you a thing I wrote voice. <laughs> like, because that is such a descriptive, like, the bones of her elbows, which means her elbow bones are exposed. Right, because she's walking. Because she's them. walking on them. Yeah. Okay. And also, fast enough. That teke teke is one word. Mm-hmm. It's two tekes in one word. So every time it's teke 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 teke. So it's like, imagine, and it's such a good sound for it, too. Because <laughs> that's what it sounds like. I can't yeah. make a better sound. Clickety clackety, fuck that shit. Teke 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 teke. It's creepy. It's good. So teke teke is up there with Kuchisake Ona, who we'll be talking about later. Mm-hmm. And Hanako of the Toilet is one of the most famous Japanese urban legends. Hanako-chan, I think I know about. I think it's kind of like uh, bloody. That's the Bloody Mary I think that's story. Like the similar to the Bloody Mary yeah. story. Um, and there are uh, as as there are about as many variations to her story as there are people in Japan. Yep. It's also interesting because there's no one single story that acts as a full legend, like Kuchisake Yono or Mary-san. Teke Teke's story is pieced together by several different stories, all of which tell different parts of her tale. It's not known exactly how the legend of Teke Teke came about. But some have surmised that she's a mashup of the Kashima-san, which is another legend, and others, such as Kuchisake-ona, and then, then set in a Hokkaido railway crossing. The first part of Teke-Teke's story is considered to be her origin story. This is how Teke-Teke came to be. She was a high school girl from Hokkaido who was hit by a train in a railway crossing and cut in half. Only she didn't die thanks to the freezing cold which sealed her wounds and allowed her to continue living in horrific pain for quite some time after. She's then ignored by the forensic investigator who thinks there's nothing he can do for her, allowing the audience to build some sympathy for her plight. And now there's different origins. Yeah, as honestly, to- even if the guy was like real cool and like was the did exactly what I was talking about earlier, which is like ease the pain, try to stop the bleeding and just 
put them to sleep and let them die, basically, you yeah. know, because there's literally sometimes you got to make that decision. I'm not trying to be crass or crude or whatever. That shit's real. Like, I do not envy anybody who's making that decision for someone, regardless of whether you're the EMT, the doctor or the family. But because we've had to make similar decisions as well. So I get it. I do. I would have I think I would have felt just as much sympathy if she had gotten the morphine or whatever. If she had gotten help. Right. But because that's all that's horrible and like getting hit by a train and then living is horrible enough for me to to feel sympathy. You know what I mean? Right. Anyway, there, there are many different stories um as to how she fell onto the train. That doesn't really explain how she fell. Uh there's one story that she was a um, a very easily scared girl. And while she was on the train crossing with her friends one day, uh, one of them found a cicada and threw it on her, which made her freak out and she tripped and fell. And then there's another story where she had a cake that she was bringing home and she dropped the cake and reached to grab it and fell. So there's, again, there's just different, all what happened to her is the same, Mm -hmm. but how she got to where she is, is different. Yeah. So then the next time we see Teke Teke is where her ghostly legend comes into play. Here she's revealed as a ghost or a yokai, depending on who you talk to. And yokais are evil spirits, I believe, or vengeful spirits. Um, that's missing the lower half of her body. And she chases after people on her elbows, which creates the Teke Teke sound in Japanese. This telephone pole version is just one of many. Other versions exist where she appears at a window or above a window frame. And she's often seen carrying a sickle. The window version goes as follows. Akun forgot something at school, so he returned to the empty classroom after everyone had gone. Finding what he was looking for, Akun was relieved, but when he looked at, up at the window, he saw a woman looking at him, resting on both her elbows. Akun was fascinated by her, and the woman put both her hands on the window frame and pushed herself forward. At that moment, Akun froze. The woman was only an upper torso. She had no lower body. She took aim at Akun and propelled herself forward on her elbows with incredible speed. So who is Teke Teke? There are several key points about Teke Teke that generally remain the same across uh, all the different versions of her story. First is that she's a high school girl from Hokkaido. Second is she died at a railway crossing uh, after being hit by a train. Third is that she has no lower body. And lastly, she approaches people with incredible speed on her elbows, which creates the Teke Teke sound of her name. As with any other legends, uh, every time you say Teke Teke, I just get the, again, Japan props. <laughs> like, every time you say Teke Teke, the image of her running out of the shadows on her fucking elbow bo- bones, the joints, too. Like, yeah. I'm imagining it's. And, like, I just see it for a second. Like, it just, like, th- literally four steps, Teke Teke, yeah. every time. And then I'm like, what? It's gross. <laughs> Um, as with many other legends, Teke Teke occasionally appears with slightly different variations. Sometimes she's an office lady and not a student. Other times she's hit by a car and not a train. Sometimes she becomes a ghost and other times a yokai. There are reportedly even versions where she's a man. Mm. What always remains the same, however, is the speed with which she chases after her victims on her elbows. Way too fast for elbows? Yes. Word. It's said she can reach speeds of up to 100 kilometers per hour fuck off what is that in american <laughs> 50 think something like that it's gotta be up there 62 point some okay so 62 miles an hour there you go for you americans fuck off <laughs> that's terrifying can nope. you imagine <laughs> person on her elbows 
coming at you at 62 miles an hour. A person of indeterminate gender or age is is running towards you, and the only thing you know is they are half a body and bony elbows. Yeah. Gross. (laughs) Carrying a sickle. Fucking insane. Carrying a sickle? Yeah. Nope. (laughs) Um, So Teke Teke's mode of attack uh, varies. But she's often known to use a sickle, just like Kuchi Sakayona. And just like Kuchi Sakayona, cuts her victims to resemble herself. Teke Teke is also known to cut the lower half of her victims' bodies off when she attacks, so they end up just like her. Bro, you know what I want to know? Is what happened to the people in Japan? What kind of nightmares did they have (laughs) during the time when they're only farming rice? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because that's where this, you know, if you think about it. That's where imagery comes from, culturally, is like, what the fuck was happening in the culture at the time? Well, something that we all do, everybody knows what a sickle is in yeah. our time. So now, you know, you have the sickle, just like in death, the scythe. Yeah. Scythe is just a big sickle. And bo- they both mean the same thing. It's harvesting, cutting down. Like, that's why it's the symbol for death and lots and lots of monsters is because it's a symbol. It's a symbol of the ending of life and a harvesting of it in great swaths. So it's like unstoppable death. Basically, you're the rice. They're the sickle. Right. So like what kind of nightmares was the farmers having and telling these stories to each other back way back in ancient times? You know what I'm saying? Like, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. Kind of creepy shit. <laughs> Probably somebody saw somebody get cut in half by a train, and that image stuck with That's them. That's fair. And that would stick with you. Yeah, and he could have been a rice farmer. No, 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 no. I wasn't talking about her specifically. I'm sorry. I was talking about, like, in general, like, Japanese mythology, legends yeah. are not all the way but way more than america geared towards body horror yeah and like going way back like way way back in japan's history and i just want to know what did they have to see you know what i mean who hurt them who for real (laughs) but like you know and i'm talking even before like you could talk about you know everybody talks about you know the nuclear bomb the fallout godzilla all that shit yes Correct. But I'm saying that even before those things happened, Japan was like into some crazy shit. (laughs) I mean, we've discussed that before. (laughs) I forget what episode we were on, but we talked about how the Japanese, maybe it was Bloody Mary, how the Japanese ghost stories are just that much more intense. You know, it's not even that they're more intense because ours are intense. It's just that. Our horror stories are mostly written by white men. But also, it's like, it's written by a people who the fear is different culturally. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's the fear of the other in America. There's a fear of the other in all of, of I am not eloquent enough today to say this shit <laughs> right, but I'm going to try. So the fear of the other is in all horror stories, because that's kind of how they work. But, like, Japan has this weird way of like in america you get zombie stories and you get vampire stories and you get like horde stories and like radiation stories but most of those stories almost all of them are about either like a horde of somebody who is different than you oh my god but who can infect you with their beliefs (laughs) 
um, is bearing down upon you and they're going to force you to change. Our other type of horror here is like you are in an unfamiliar place and the thing that lives here wants you dead. Yeah. Because guerrilla warfare is a big part of our history. Almost the whole part, even before America, even before colonization, tribal shit has been tribal shit for a long time in this country, at least in this landmass. Um, and then, but in Japan, it's like you have both of those things, but you also, you get way more nuanced and varied versions of even ghosts. So there's like ghosts, there's spirits, there's yokai, there's oni. Yeah. And like all these other different types of monsters that even in those monsters, there's tons of subcategories and things. And I just like to think about like, what the fuck, you know? I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that they're super old culturally. Culturally. And there wasn't a lot of intermingling of beliefs and intermingling of uh, what's the word I'm looking for now. God, you got me not talking right. Yeah, I know. Um, Day one, 2022, baby. <laughs> Woo! shit what's the word well beliefs and and tradition that's the word whereas here in america we've got a melting pot of everybody's kind of stories and legends so but it's more um in japan it's more um concentrated homogenous concentrated i think is better because you're right it is like distilled yeah, and like distilled. refined mm -hmm. because like it's like when you're a kid like bloody mary here it's like we've gnawed on it and chewed on that story so hard for so long as a culture that it sort of has its own life you know and it's evolving on its own but in japan imagine that but times mu much of history yeah. like all of it yeah. plus some so like you know it's one of the oldest civilizations. It's one of the old, you know, Asia is one of the oldest right. peoples. It's like Africa and Asia. Right. Like, <laughs> so like, you know, they're going to have old ass shit and they were undisturbed for way longer than most of Africa was. And like, they were isolated on a, on an Island, you know? Right. So like, it's harder to get there and, uh, they come up with weird shit. Yeah. It's what happens when you lock yourself in a room with your friends and you get bored. <laughs> so I should have said this before we started, so I'm sorry. But uh, in some versions, it is said that just by hearing Teke Teke's story that she'll appear to you within three days. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. Do I get to fight a half lady with a sickle? <laughs> so I got every a sword in my garage right now. I've been waiting for this my whole life. <laughs> so While you all were having dates, I was studying the blade. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, not to get off subject, but I did. There was like a, a TikTok page I fell on one day that there is a place here in Florida that teaches uh, armor wearing and sword fighting, like medieval style sword fighting. Uh, a lot of places it's like European martial arts or society for the something of anachronism. Creative anachronism. That's the one. Yeah. The SCA. SCA. So the creative anachronism one is like, that's the one that does the, the Ren fairs in the villages and stuff. Yeah, but they're but the SCA is militant. Cindy and I looked yes. into it one time. The SCA is the one where they literally live 
for certain periods of time. Mm-hmm. They live like people lived in medieval times. You have to wear the type of clothing. Yes. You yeah. got to make your own clothing, churn your own butter, the whole nine. Mm-hmm. The, the uh, European martial arts, so EMA, that is like literally a karate school, but for European martial arts. So like broadswords, pole fighting, spear tactics, shit like that. Yeah. Like it's, you know. But uh, so like many other supernatural urban legends, you can find movies based on Teke Teke legend, aptly named Teke Teke and Teke Teke 2. <laughs> that <laughs> was musical. <laughs> Teke Teke and Teke Teke 2. And even mobile games that feature Teke her. Teke Teke 2 grows when you feed her blood and she eats the whole planet. Yes. Anyway, uh, Teke Teke's legend is enduring and her presence can be felt everywhere. So that one, that that story didn't go in. There's like something where she comes up to you and says, "Have you seen my legs?" And if you say no, she goes, "I'll take yours." And that's when she cuts mm. you in half. Yep, yep. So, but yeah, so that's Teke Teke. Now we're going to talk about the oft mentioned in Teke Teke, the Kuchisakeona. Kuchisakeona. Yes. Let me see the words for the, that one. Kuchisakeona or the slit mouth woman. I was wondering what Kuchisake meant. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck kind of woman? Because <laughs> again, I'm a nerd. Sorry. <laughs> now we're going to talk about Kuche Sake Ona, which mm-hmm. the reason it kept getting mentioned is because Teke Teke was after Kuche Sake Ona in the book I have. So, uh, unfortunately, which the book is called Toshiden, Exploring Japanese Urban Legends, Volume 1. So, uh, an elementary school student was on the way home from school when a strange woman came walking towards him on the other side. Despite the fact that it was summer, the woman was wearing a long red coat and her mouth was covered with a large surgical mask. Then as she passed the student, she asked him something. Am I pretty? Although she was wearing a mask, the woman appeared to be quite young and beautiful. So the student answered, yes, you are. The woman then removed the mask. How about now? She screamed. The mask was hiding the woman's mouth, slit from ear to ear. She removed a sickle from beneath her coat and attacked the elementary school student. The boy, terrified, tried to run, but the woman was too fast. Catching him with incredible speed, then she stuck the sickle in his mouth and ripped it from ear to ear. So this woman is called Kuchi Sakeona, or the slit mouth woman. Kuchi meaning mouth. <laughs> Sorry. Saki meaning to tear or rip something, and Ona meaning woman. It's probably, we're American, so we're probably, we're, I think we're pronouncing it correctly for Americans. Yeah, Kuchi Sake is like, it's going to sound a little different. It's not going to sound like Kuchi. It's going to yeah. be like Kuchi. Kuchi. Um, it's a pretty straightforward name. Kuchisakeona is classified as a Torima, meaning a random attacker or slasher. Torima. Torima. In the, in the present day, there are several explanations as to how Kuchisakeona came about. The general story is that she underwent plastic surgery, which failed badly and left her with her mouth torn wide open. Which, what the hell kind of plastic surgery would you be doing where that could be a possible side effect? Say that again? The side effect was what? That her mouth was slit from ear to ear. Oh, yeah, well, uh, the bad kind. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean... It, it was, Malpractice. But I can't even Yum. think of... I can't, <laughs> I can't even think of a procedure that could lead to that accidentally. I don't know shit about surgery. So, like, I don't know. Maybe some type of jaw surgery? Maybe. Mm. Um... In order to unleash her unbearable buildup of rage, she, she attacks elementary school children on their way home from school, one after the other. Why did she undergo surgery, though? 
Well, one story says that Kuchisakeona was the youngest of three sisters. Both her older sisters underwent plastic surgery with great success, but only hers was a failure and left her with her mouth torn. The surgeon that performed the operation was wearing quite a bit of pomade, which is a hair wax, in his hair, which is how she especially came to hate that, but more on that later. Another story goes that there is not one, but three Kuchisakeonas. The older sister had a failed plastic surgery attempt, leaving her with her mouth torn. The middle sister was in a terrible car accident, leaving her with her mouth torn. And then the youngest sister went crazy, cutting her own mouth to match her older sisters. That's some Joker shit, huh? Yeah. A third version says that Kuchisakeona carelessly cut her own mouth open, leaving the responsibility for the accident entirely in her own hands. There are also lesser-known versions where Kuchisakeona accidentally cut herself whilst working in the garden. That could kind of make sense. Yes. Sort of. I, I just, like, again, it's if, if we're gardening with old-school sickles and you fucking fall on one, Yeah, I guess. Um, there's things. I mean, I, I know people with very strange injuries, so, like, I'm not ruling anything out, but, like... <laughs> well, in general, something happened that caused her mouth to get cut wide open, and now she's not happy about it. Now, she's a young woman in her early 20s, around 155 centimeters tall. Although in hold, some old please five foot, almost one. Okay. She's a young woman in her early twenties, around five foot one. Uh, although in some stories she's been said to be even taller. And even though she has a mask on, she appears to be quite beautiful. She has slanted eyes and a cat-like voice. She's most commonly known for wearing a red coat. This red coat has a dual purpose, so it doesn't stand out when she's splattered with the blood of her victims. And so she can easily hide the sickle she attacks people with underneath it. There have been stories of her wearing a white coat, but in the majority of cases, it's red. She prefers red clothes in general. She's sometimes seen wearing a red beret and even red high heels, anything to make the blood of her victims stand out less. Over time, she develops some local variations, however. In Edogawa Ward in Tokyo, it's said that she has a red umbrella with which she uses to fly. In Tamagawa, in Tokyo, she's said to have slovenly, dirty appearance. In Hachiuji and Kokubunji cities in Tokyo, she's known for wearing a kimono with sunglasses. In Okayama Prefecture, she's said to carry around a comb made of Japanese boxwood. Now she carries with her infamous, with her her infamous sickle to cut children's mouths with. In some versions of the stories, this can be either a razor, knife, or even an axe. But she's most well known for her sickle. She's also said to be able to run incredibly fast. She can cover 100 meters in just three seconds, and in some stories she can run so fast she can even overtake a police bike. Now, the most common version of the story starts with Kuchisakeona approaching a young child and asking them, am I pretty? Whether they answer yes or no, it generally results in them being stabbed to death with her sickle. But like everything else, when it comes to this urban legend, that's not her only method of approach. In several versions, she's known to approach passersby and simply eat them, Nice. <laughs> Gotta love a good cannibal ghost. Yeah. Or uh, spirit them away somewhere. Mm. Another version has her asking, would you like to eat some yogurt? Wild. What? <laughs> I don't know. There's literally, that's just, would you like to eat some yogurt? Crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. What? And when the passerby declines, because I, if some stranger came up to me and said, you want some yogurt? I'm not going to eat I'm it. I'm going to look at that person and be like, excuse me? <laughs> Uh, when the passerby declines, Kuchisakeona goes on to eat them instead. 
She could try. <laughs> like the Krampus. <laughs> Start with your ass. Mm-hmm. Ass first, baby. <laughs> Yet another uh, method involves her tapping on someone's shoulder. When that person turns around, she slashes their throat. The only way around this is to turn in the opposing direction to which shoulder was tapped. If she taps your left shoulder, turn right. If she taps your right shoulder, turn left. Only then can you escape. So for the rest of your life, you just have to make oh, sure. Oh, I we hey, middle school trained me well. <laughs> Cause you just you feel a tap on your shoulder, you automatically go the opposite direction, period. <laughs> just because they're always on the other side. Kuchisakiona is said to have a love of the number three, perhaps because of the three sisters version of her story. As a result, she's said to often appear places with the kanji for three in place of, in the place name. Mataka City and San Sanganjaya, both par- places in Tokyo, where the word three in their name, uh, with the word three in their name, are especially popular haunting grounds. What are they called? Mataka City and Sanganjaya. Some stories go so far as to say her base lies in a de- department store in Sanganjaya. But these places with the words three in them, aren't the only places you're likely to see her. Now, it's not uncommon to find Kuchisake Ona living underneath the stage in school gyms or even working as a school nurse who's always hiding behind her sick mask. Why? Why? I guess because why would she be working as a school nurse? Yeah. I guess because she can wear the mask and no one asks any questions. Mm. How did she get the job? Very, very poor recruiting effort. <laughs> like, I want to know. <laughs> like, who the fuck? Oh, I hired this woman. Because <laughs> I'm thinking if your mouth is slit ear to ear, you're not going to be talking very well. I I, I can't think, imagine. Yeah. Well, I mean, assuming like if it's been sewed back. No. If you see the pictures, it's just gaping. It's open. just open. Well, I mean, she's a, she's a monster. So yeah, true. Outside of school, she's known to frequent graveyards and shrines. So here's how you handle Kuchisake Yona. Mm. Supposing you ever run into Kuchisakiona in some dark alley, there are surprisingly numerous ways that you can escape her. First of all, it's said that she doesn't like pomade, the hair wax. That is a thing in Japan. Yeah. It's like huge. (laughs) If you yell, pomade, 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 three times in succession, she will falter and this will give you a chance you need to escape. (laughs) That physically stunned me. Uh, the reason for this is because, as mentioned earlier, when she was undergoing surgery, the surgeon used quite a lot of pomade in his hair, and the smell made her sick. Throwing or sprinkling actual pomade will also aid in escape, and even just writing the word on your hand and showing it to her is said to be effective. Oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> I have an audio drama. Imagine Kuchisakeona comes up from behind you. She taps you on your left shoulder. You turn right, but she still asks you, do you think I'm pretty? You say, give me a moment. And you pull out a Sharpie. <laughs> turn around for a moment and you go, pomade. Kuchisake <laughs> ah! <laughs> is also said to have a fondness for bekoame, a type of hard candy. She would become engrossed at the sight of it, giving children the chance to escape. Children often carried bekoame around with when Kuchisake mania was at its highest. So this was considered a useful way to escape her clutches. Other candies include kuroame, or black candy. Kuroame. 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 And chupa chups. 
Chupa Chups. Kuchisakayona just really liked candy. Who doesn't? <laughs> a third way, the most commonly known today, I love this, is to simply answer her question of am I pretty with so-so. I, that's so good. <laughs> just, eh. That's so good. Am I pretty? Nah, not my type. Like, <laughs> like. <laughs> this will briefly confuse her and give the victim a chance to escape. I thought I asked a binary question, and yet. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but these aren't the only ways of escaping her grasp. According to author Yamaguchi Bintaro, who wrote a book on modern yokai in 2007, he poses the following as confirmed methods of escape, escape to escape capture. Yelling Naniku Naniku over and over again. Naniku is garlic, although there's no explanation given as to why she doesn't like garlic. Yelling Hage Hage. Hage means baldness, but again, no explanation is given. <laughs> Kuchisakiona is also said to have a dislike of dogs. So writing the kanji for dog on one's hand or saying there's a dog coming will give you the chance you need to escape. Are you sure I don't just say Inu Inu at her? <laughs> like, come on now. Oh, you knew that Inu Inu was dog? Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm a nerd. I'm sorry. I'm specifically that, yeah. And for some unknown reason, though my my belief would be uh, poor cardio, Kujisakayona is unable to go past the second floor of buildings. What? Yeah, she can't go past the second floor. I love that. <laughs> That's a great loophole. So climbing higher than this will keep you safe. She also won't chase people who escape. Does sea level have anything to do with it? <laughs> like, I need to know. Because, <laughs> like, can I just name it the third floor and be fine? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, She also won't chase people who escape into record or cosmetic stores. Great. Amazing. <laughs> Hipsters are free and clear. <laughs> and lastly, Kuchi... <laughs> Kuchisakeona won't attack anybody with typo blood. Word, I'm yeah. safe then. Me too. Word. A good time to go. Also, Teke Teke has not shown up yet, so I assume we're fine. Said three days. Oh, three days. Yeah. So we're talking I'll forget Tuesday. by then. Tuesday, on your way home from work, you'll see some girl pulling herself. Oh, that'll be something I haven't seen in quite a while, Don. <laughs> okay. Woo. Okay, here we go. A lot of Japanese here. Um, rumors of Kuchisakiona first began to spread throughout Japan during the spring and summer of 1979, inspiring fear in elementary school students nationwide. The rumors became so widespread that police cars were sent out on patrols and groups formed to make sure the children returned home safely. She even made it to the communication logs children took home with them from school, informing parents as to the fuss she was stirring up. Wow. Yeah. Apparently, they, they still believe. That's what viral meant in the 70s and 80s, guys. Yeah. As your parents found out because they sent a note home. <laughs> Bekoame also became a problem as children brought it with them to school in order to protect themselves against her. I bet it was a promotional thing for Bekoame. I was just thinking, like, pomade, Bekoame, Chupa Chups, all these <laughs> other fucking things. Like, they all it got was together. an ad. It was an ad campaign. It had to have been. Yell pomade three times? Come on. (laughs) The fuck out of here. On June 21st, 1979, a 25-year-old woman living in Himeji City dressed up as Kuchisakeona for a joke. 
She walked around holding a knife before eventually being arrested under the Swords and Firearms Control Law. Thankfully, no school kids were harmed during her brief reign of terror. Uh, In the same year, the Manichi newspaper published a history of Showa series featuring trending words from the late 70s. They mentioned that there was a popular service amongst the hostesses of Ginza, which involved covering their mouths and asking their customers, am I pretty? Mm -hmm. Of course, the correct answer was to either say Bekoame or Pomade. Those two things, Kuchi, the two those two things that Kuchisaki Ono dislikes. Wait a minute, she doesn't dislike Jackie The two things that I got it though. Yeah. It's the two things that'll drive her off or yeah. keep her occupied or whatever. But there's no record of any customers facing the sickle if they got an answer wrong. Another phrase that was created around the same time was Kuchisaki Ona, not Kuchisake, uh, a play on words used for women who liked to shoot their mouths off a lot. In this case, the sake means to go first ahead of someone. That me that makes a lot of sense because that is a phrase that I have occasionally heard. Because kuchisake, I, I I have never heard it pronounced that way. I've always heard it pronounced kuchisake, mm-hmm. and I was like, "What the fuck is that?" But then I knew this story because, like, I knew the "Are you pretty?" or yeah. "Am I pretty?" story because we've I feel like we've mentioned it. Briefly. Yeah, I think we have. But like, yeah, the Japanese is great language. Like, it's so wild how much you can say in Japanese with like just one letter being one different. word yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, by August of the same year the beginning of the summer holidays the rumors had been taken over and the country the rumors that had been taking over the country calmed down this is possibly because word of mouth ceased when children no longer at school to discuss the woman terrorizing their streets it's not too difficult to see how a word of this terrifying kuchisake ona uh, could spread amongst the children so easily, considering the fear she inspired in them. But with no internet or social media at the time, the issue died down once the children were no longer together each day to talk about it. Enter the 1990s. With news of plastic surgery and medical errors on the rise in the media, people once again be- be- began to speak of Kuchisake Ona, a woman who lost all reason thanks to her surgery mishap. Once again, her name was on the lips of everyone across the country. Now, it's said that the story of Kuchisakeona actually originated in Gifu Prefecture, ugh, Gifu Prefecture around the start of December in 1978. Although some claim it was Aichi Prefecture, the first time she was mentioned was in, by the press was in the Gifu Hinichi newspaper in January 26 of 1979. At the time comparatively wealthy families were able to send their children to night cram schools mm-hmm. in order to secure their future. Yet children from poorer families were supposedly told stories of Kuchisake Ona in order to make them give up on their dreams of attending such expensive cram schools. Cram schools, I guess, is like night school or summer school yeah. kind of thing. So Japan is a super intense about schooling. Yeah. And what a lot of kids... um go to high school six days a week or like five and a half days a week. And then they also go to a full session of school after school on like almost all of those days. And then like whatever days they have free is like club activities and shit. Like it's almost all their whole life is about school at that point, like in a real kind of toxic way, but I don't want to judge a whole culture Cause like they are top in education or whatever, but like, yeah, you know, 
They also have stories about Kuchisake Ona that get the police involved. So, <laughs> As a result, however, the children became so frightened that the story spread to other parts of the country and cemented itself in urban as an urban legend. She appeared on a local TV program in Osaka in the late 70s called Youngtown, a talk show where various people discussed sightings of her, which helped her legend spread even further. In July 2012, an empty store in the Yanagase shopping district in Gifu City opened up as a limited-time haunted house featuring Kuchisake Ona. Using the setting of the Showa period, visitors chased Kuchisake Ona through the mansion as she abducted a little boy. The event was so popular that it received a lot of attention from around the country and even sparked a revival in the town. People praised their smart usage of the urban legend that was born in their home prefecture. Some people have traced Kuchisake Ona's origins back even further, however. In his book, Himitsu Haya Aka, author Siryoyan Ryusi. Siryoyan? It's R. Okay, Jesus Christ, this one's hard. So it's S E I R Y O U I N. I want to say Siryoyan. Siryoyan. And then. Ryusi. Ryusui. So it's R Y U U. So it's the word, the sound that I can't actually do because I'm American. And then S U I. So it's like Ryusui. Ryusui. I have to do the bad accent. I'm sorry. It's how I learned how to pronounce shit. So Skip Simmons um, heard <laughs> speculates that the actual basis of Kuchisake Ona comes from a real woman named Ot- Otsuya who lived in Shiga Prefecture during the Meiji era. Meiji. Meiji era. Rumors abounded that she walked around late at night holding a straw doll in hand and carrying a carrot in her mouth. What was her name again? Otsuya? Otsuya. 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 Yeah. Uh, Making it look torn to those who glimpsed her in the darkness. A long period of time passed, allowing the rumor to simmer and incubate, and they returned in Gifu Prefecture in 1978 at Kuchesakeona. There were also rumors of a Kuchesakeona in the Edo period. There was a story of Edo a, Edo period. Mm-hmm. There was a story of a Kitsune in the Edo period that would turn into the slit-mouthed woman. Word. The story is as follows: There was a young man of 20 called Kokus, Kosuke, or Kosuke, who worked at a shop Kosuke. called. No, it's K-O-S-U-K-E. Yeah, Kosuke. Kosuke? Okay. Mm-hmm. Who worked at a shop called Daikokuya in Motogikucho, Edo. Whew. Yeah. I don't envy you. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only going to... I only correct the ones that I have heard pronounced in Japanese before. I am trying very hard not to correct this man on every... I think I did pretty good on Motogikucho. Oh, yeah, dude. It's fucking... I, I, yes, absolutely. Uh, being a fresh new employee. Oh my God. <laughs> I just saw a word I have to say. <laughs> um, being a fresh new employee, he was asked by his boss to run an errand in Ukubohayakunicho. Wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, Ukubohayakuni. No. Oh, okay. Okubo Hayakunincho. There you go. Presentation Juku. So there you fuck go. you. Yeah, all so right? Presentation Juku. <laughs> um, all he had to do was deliver a letter and wait for the reply. 
but the reply took a considerable amount of time, and by the time he was able to return, the sun was already setting. But that wasn't all. It had started to rain as well. How'd you say his name was pronounced? Kosuke? Kosuke. Kosuke. Sorry. Uh, pulled out his umbrella and lit a lantern, then put his letter in his pocket and hurried along the street home. With his umbrella held up against the rain, Kosuke felt a presence presence before him. He looked up to see a young woman, soaked and running along the street. Seeing her like that, he started running, yet realizing that she might be the daughter of an influential man. He felt compelled to call out to her. This proved to be a fatal mistake. He called out to the woman and told her he was returning to Motogikucho, but if she would but if she would like to share his umbrella along the way, why didn't she join him? She turned around. The moment she did, Kusuke screamed and fell backwards. The woman's mouth was cut from ear to ear. Fangs jutted out and her eyes sparkled at the sight of him. Kusuke, worried about returning to the shop late, ended up being carried back in a litter. It was as though he had aged as all at once. His teeth fell out and his face grew old. Without saying another word, he took his final breath. Now, it was known at the time that Kitsune had made the area area's neighboring Ukubo their habitat. Why couldn't they just said Ukubo to begin with? <clears throat> they especially liked to turn into women on rainy days and trick passing men. Uh, it is said that the women with the woman with the slit mouth that Kosuke called out to that day was also a Kitsune. This wasn't Kuchisake Ona's only appearance in the Edo period, however. She was also depicted in the Seoshigue picture book. God almighty. Please forgive me, everybody. What is it spelled like? S-A-Y-O-S-H-I-G-U-R-E. Seoshigure. Seoshigure picture book. Something, by, I feel like Shigure is, I don't know. I kind of want By... Kiyoi artist Hayami Shungiyosai. Mm. Yeah, a courtesan is pulled aside by a man whilst direct walking down the street in the red light district. When the lady turns around, her mouth is cut from ear to ear. The man passes out and promises never again to return to the red light district. That one was very clearly that was an angry wife. <laughs> Kuchisake Ona is such a popular urban legend that she has inspired several variations. One such variation is Futokuchi Ana Ona, the woman with two mouths. Whoa, it, whoa. Futokuchi Ona. It is said that this woman has a large second mouth on the top of her head. Disgusting. If you answer yes, you're pretty to her question, she'll pull apart the hair on her head to reveal her second mouth. If you answer no, you're ugly, she'll proceed to eat you with that second mouth. There is, of course, a yokai named Futakuchi Ona that first made her appearance in that picture book, and I'm not going to try to pronounce again, mm -hmm. of the Edo period. But this particular version is entirely unrelated to her. She's simply a variation of the modern Kuchisake Ona. Hmm. There's another version or variation in Iheim, or Ime, yeah. and Fukushima prefectures called Kuchiware Ona, which, which translates to the broken mouth woman. Mm -hmm. In that one, she's said to ask, am I beautiful? And if you don't answer, she proceeds to stab you with a knife. That's not all. 
For those who simply hear about this tale, it is said that Kuchiwade Ona will appear to them within three days. So look for both. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> if you see, you're going to see more action than I've seen in a long time. <laughs> I just, yeah, you'll be freaking out. You'll be at work on Tuesday night and two Japanese women will come in and <laughs> one of them one the one most the horrifying thing I've ever seen. And the other one we might go work with. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she Fuku- got two mouths and one of them is going to be eating me from the ass first. Like <laughs> you never know. In Fukushima Prefecture, she's said to ride around in a red Celica car and stops to ask, are my eyes pretty? That's specific. Mm-hmm. Unlike Kuchisakeona, Kuchiwareona likes the famous local Fukushima candy instead. It's said this version came That's ab- the ad part again. <laughs> that's, the, that's the exec that was like, hey guys, if we just tell the kids that she likes our candy, they will buy a fuck ton of it. <laughs> uh, in Fukushima Prefecture, she said to ri- I read that. Sorry. Um, it said this version came about when a local newspaper misprinted Kuche Sakeona's name as Kuchirare, or Ware, and the name stuck. The story even spread to Korea in 2004, gaining traction with a new generation of children to terrify. There, she's called the Akai Mask Ona, the red mask woman, and the red signifying blood. Mm. Another version, good grief, has Kuche Sakeona working with a companion, a man in a mask. Now, this version is said to appear in the Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> is said to appear in the Hachiyoji and Kokubunji areas of Tokyo. Kuchisake Yona has appeared in countless medias over the year. There are far too many to list here, so you can head over to her English Wikipedia page for a fairly comprehensive list. And that's pretty much it. So real quick, let me. Oh boy. Yeah, let's find that author's name. Yeah, this is a good episode for me because. I really like, I really, really enjoy Japanese media, and, and because I enjoy the media, so like anime, manga, that type of stuff, I really enjoy that. And because I enjoy that, um, and am a black man, I understand what cultural appropriation is. <laughs> so I, I do occasionally, not like, not like religiously or anything like that, but I do occasionally like on purpose go and try to... F- read the things that Japanese people are reading or like, you know, do the research on whatever. Like if I see something in a show that I think is interesting, rather than just trusting the show to tell me what it is, I'll go look it up and see like, what does Japan know about this thing? Right. You know, or what does, you know, what are the, whatever. So like, I have a vague recollection of a lot of Japanese like mythology and stuff, but not a comprehensive knowledge of any of it. And uh, it was really interesting to hear some of the origins of some of these things that I've seen and heard about before. It's really cool. Uh, the book is called Toshiden. Uh, this was volume one. There's actually multiple. I've got two of them, and then there's a couple with other names. But the author is uh, Tara A. Devlin. Uh, it's uh, Toshiden, volume one, exploring Japanese urban legends. Yeah, it's uh, the the book is Toshiden. Toshiden Volume 1, Exploring Japanese Urban Legends. Uh, the artist author is Tara A. Devlin. Uh, she has multiple books uh, on it. You can find them on Amazon. Um, and it's even available on Kindle. That's what I have is the Kindle version. I've got Volumes 1 and 2. Mm. And like I said, there's some others that go under different names. But uh, yeah. Y'all check it out. I, it's really interesting. I enjoyed learning about these things in detail. It's mm. really cool. Now, those were two of the longer stories. Uh, there's a lot of like just one-page stories or two-page stories that mm. are pretty quick. That's what I love about Japan. It's like, this demon, it was a spider, 
fell down a well, stayed there for about a thousand years, became a demon. What do you want, man? So good. <laughs> I guess, anyway, this has been Campfire Tales, and mm-hmm. I have been Ruben. And I've been Don. We're oh, it. Yeah. oh, hey, fuck that outro. <laughs> Find us on Facebook and Twitter yep. and all the places. We are also uh, Two Towns Over on Spotify and Apple Music and mm-hmm. iTunes and anywhere else you find your podcasts. Um, Facebook is our main social media right now. Yeah. Uh, we're looking into getting a social media manager, so you'll be seeing us on like Twitter and TikTok and stuff. Yeah. But uh, just... Give us a look out. Give us a share. Give us reviews. Five stars, please, on iTunes and Spotify. And now Spotify, yeah. Allows you to rate us. Give us that thumbs up or whatever theirs is. And No, there is a star oh, rating. Oh, it's the too. star system now. Yeah. yeah, give us five fucking stars, baby. <laughs> and uh, if, you, if you have, if you want to communicate with us, you can use um, Facebook Messenger. That is a possibility. We are real quick to answer. We've had a few people comment and leave us some of the stories, local stories around there. Usually you'll be talking to Josh. I usually Josh or Don. Uh, yeah. Ruben, me, tends to stay off of social media for mental health reasons, but <laughs> very occasionally you might get my response to. Mm-hmm. If it's about eating ass or anything like that, Ruben is I'll quick be to there. respond. Yeah. I'll be there, baby. Um, so yeah, if again, if you have any local urban legends that you want us to cover. Uh, I love that I'm starting a thing about how I just love how eating ass. <laughs> Well, that's, you know, we got the whole... That's on the internet forever. Yeah, forever. Suck my whole dick and balls. Well, that part, ass. you know. Anyway, yeah. find us that. on the things. Yep. And Pay us on Patreon when we get one. And we'll have Josh back next week when that drunk bastard decides to join the real world. I said it and I ain't taking it the fuck back. Anyway, for real this time, I've been Don. I've been Ruben. Anyway, this is Campfire Tales. Bye. Bye. <laughs>